Good morning, Renaissance. Let's hear that again. Good morning, Renaissance. Good morning. My name is Kevin, and I'm one of the volunteers here, and I'll be reading scripture today. The scripture finds us in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15, and we'll be reading from the New International Version, and it reads as such. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing and most of all the doing of his word. What's going on, Renaissance? Shout out for two years as a church. Uh, I'm always amazed at uh, what has happened in these last two years. Uh, all weekend, I've been feeling uh, super sappy and emotional. Um, I don't cry because I'm a G, you know what I'm saying? But if I wasn't, I might have shed a tear or two, or maybe I did. Um, uh, but in looking back in these last two years, in this last year, and seeing all of the things that have happened, uh, it just makes me feel so good and to know that God is with us. Uh, we've seen people go from strangers to actually becoming family. Uh, we've had community groups that have started out uh, pretty rocky, if I'm being honest. And um, those same groups are now probably the tightest people uh, the tightest knit family that we have at Renaissance. A, a lot of us started reading the Bible together through something called CBR, Community Bible Reading, and uh, people who never thought they would incorporate scripture into their life were reading the Bible together as a family. We've celebrated life with babies being born, and we've mourned together uh, of death of loved ones and the family. We've seen couples married, and we've seen couples sh struggle. Uh, we've had highs, and we've had lows, but the thing that makes me more proud than anything is we've done it as a family. We are a family above all else, and our mission of connecting people to Jesus Christ and connecting people to each other, it's, it does my heart so much joy to, to see that mission actually happening. Now, as we embark on this second uh, anniversary and going into the third year as a, as a church, uh, I can think of nothing else uh, more meaningful, nothing else more significant than us together deepening our relationship with God uh, through prayer. And for the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus taught people how to pray. Uh, this is how it all started. In Luke, Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? 
And here's one of the best things about that, that one little phrase. There were people that walked with Jesus on a daily basis and didn't know how to pray. What does that mean for me and you? You don't have to be embarrassed if you don't know how to pray. It's very possible. It's actually likely that you and I would not know how to pray because prayer is not something that is native to us. Uh, my wife and I have studied Spanish in high school and college, and we go to different places. And every now and then, I'll get a chance to dust off my Spanish. Nobody quiz me after this because I'm, I'm a little rusty. Um, but when I go to another country, I went to Colombia a couple months ago, and you go there, and as much as you are getting along and speaking the language, it's still not native to you. I still always want to go back to English in my head. And for a lot of us, for all of us, this is what I think prayer is, and this is why everybody has to learn how to pray, because prayer is not any of our native languages. Uh, all throughout the Bible, it teaches something called uh, original sin, which means that by, in our very original nature, nobody has been sprinkled with magic prayer dust from their birth that they automatically have this amazing connection between them and God. And everybody in here, uh, whether you're new or old, all of us can stand to learn something about prayer. And what we need, what all of us need, uh, is not necessarily more uh, a show or anything like that. You and I need to deepen our roots with God our Father. And for the next seven weeks, we're going to look through what it means to learn uh, how for Jesus to realign our, our, our life, to realign our hearts, to realign our minds, to realign our wills to God's will, to God's mind, to God's heart, because none of us, whether you're brand new and you have absolutely no idea how to pray, or you've been around for a while, um, I still, I, I bet that you struggle still having a robust, healthy, nurtured prayer life. Now, I'm very sympathetic to people who feel like they don't know how to pray, because contrary to public opinion, even though I stand on Sundays with a microphone in my hand, uh, I certainly have not always learned uh, or known how to pray. Uh, when I was in college, I played basketball, and uh, every game, even though my coach wasn't religious, he would ask one of my friends to pray uh, before the game, my boy named Fred. And Fred just sounds like a name of somebody who knows how to pray, right? Like, who can pray? I don't know. Is there a Fred in the room? There you go. Start praying. And Fred is one of those dudes that had been uh, uh, like preaching full sermons from when he was like nine years old. And Fred, was the, he's one of the most prolific communicators I've ever heard. And every time he would pray, it would just make you feel so energized. He would start so slow and confident. Like, that's how you know somebody knows how to pray. They just start slow, right? He was like, ah, oh, God and our Father, our blessed Messiah, our King of Kings. God, you hold lightning in your left hand and thunder in your right hand. And those same hands, God, those are the hands that carry us now. And by the end of the prayer, you felt like God was giving you a piggyback ride. Like, yo, I am, we are excited. We would go out, we'd have tears in our eyes, and we'd go out and lose. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so my coach, I guess he wanted to pull an audible because Fred's prayers, as powerful as they were, they weren't working. We were like 0 and 13. So one day, in the middle of the circle, in the hotel room before one of our games, he says, Rice, won't you lead us in prayer? And I could just still, I could feel my heart about to beat out of my chest, right? I felt like Eminem, eight mile, palms were sweaty, knees weak, arms were heavy. <laughs> like if I could have just run out the room, I would have done that. Uh, and I said to myself, you know what? Fred could do it, so could I. I'm just going to close my eyes and God is going to give me some really powerful and eloquent words to say. So I closed my eyes and I started talking. 
and they were not the powerful and eloquent words that I was hoping for. As a matter of fact, I stuttered through the first like 45 seconds, and then I was like, yo, this is, I was thinking to myself while I was praying, this is the worst prayer anybody has ever prayed. So I said, all right, quick, just say what Fred said. So I was like, God, you hold lightning bugs in your left hand and thunderbirds in your right hand. And by the grace of God, I finished talking, and it was bad. It was just really bad. It was so bad, my teammates came up to me after like, hey, it's all right, man. You'll get them next time, Rice. Don't worry about it. Except there was no next time because for the rest of the season, my coach would look right over me and never ask me to pray ever again. Now, I was pretty deflated uh, when that happened. It felt pretty terrible. I kept on thinking, God, if this is what prayer is about, uh, I am absolutely the last person on this planet that can pray because I just prayed the worst prayer in history. I just stuttered through some nonsensical language. And if prayer is about uh, the language that we use, using good words and, and all these different things, then prayer could never be something that's a part of my life. Now, here's what I've discovered in the months and years since. Prayer is not a chore for you to do. It's not a, a, a profession for you to enter into. It's a relationship for you to enter into. It's not a chore to do. It's not a performance for you to engage in. It's a relationship for you and me to enter into. And if we get that out of whack, then everything else that flows after it will be messed up. Now, for months and months, I was discouraged about thinking about prayer because I uh, was so worried about the words that I was saying, and I felt like it really wasn't working. And when I talked to different people, uh, one of, two of the biggest obstacles people have are, one, I don't feel like I'm saying the right thing. Like, there's probably a formula out there. I Googled it. I can't find it. Um, so I must not be saying the right thing. Or two, I prayed. I said these words, and nothing happened. I didn't feel my knees shake when I was praying. I didn't feel anything magical happening. So maybe I, I didn't do it right. Prayer is not a chore to do. Prayer is a relationship for us to enter into. And Jesus, when he wants to realign our hearts and our minds in prayer, this is how Jesus starts. He says, when you start to pray, this is then how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Now, Jesus gives us some context to what he's talking about here and what he warns us against. Um, he says, when you pray in verse 5 through 7, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words." Jesus gives the contrast. He says, you could either pray to your father or you all the basis of your prayer could be because of the basis of your many words, the eloquence of your speech. Now, check this out. Jesus uses a word for hypocrite here that's a little different than the word that we normally understand. Uh, when Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites, he wasn't saying it in the sense that we understand it today. A hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and who does another, right? That friend of yours who says she's a vegan and you caught her in Popeye's with a three-piece, spicy, and she had chicken grease all over her lips. Like, are you a vegan? Huh? What part of the vegan is, uh, fruit plant is that? 
That's what we understand hypocrites to mean, to say one thing and to do another. Jesus didn't mean it like that. Jesus meant a hypocrite was the word hypocrite, which basically meant stage actor, stage performer. So Jesus is basically saying this. Don't be like the person that's so caught up in the delivery of your words. Don't be like the, if, you, if you've ever seen anybody in theater preparing to rehearse or to get up and play uh, and, and before a play, they're not relaxed and calm. They're, every line uh, moves the, the, the act of the play somewhere, and they're maniacally stressing about details and dance routines. And this is what Jesus is saying. It is not about the dance routine or the performance. Don't be like the hypocrites worrying about the words that you're saying. Don't be like somebody who's performing and trying to uh, uh, use these big, fancy-schmancy words. Listen, the point of prayer is not for it to be a chore or a performance for you to do. Prayer, the point, the basis, the absolute reason that you do it is to enter into a relationship. And we're not entering into a relationship with a boss or your university president or your professor or your teacher. He says to enter it like this, our Father. And those two words uh, might be the most profound words in all of Scripture. Now, in, es in essence, Jesus is basically getting to the motives behind why we pray. He's getting to the motives underneath what our motivation is in our prayers. And Jesus is realigning how we relate to God. Now, think about it like this. How you relate to people varies wildly based on your relationship to them. How you talk to me, if you've never met me before, will be different than how you talk to your homeboy, your homegirl. How you talk to your professor is different than the way you talk to your dad. And this is what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to, um, there's, there's always, if you want to talk to your, uh, the, the president of the university, there's a huge separation between you and them. You wouldn't just walk into their office in the middle of the day. You wouldn't just do things without an appointment or without some formality. And this is what Jesus is saying. The formality, one of the biggest reasons people don't pray is because we don't know how to do the formality. And Jesus is saying, I never told you to do the formalities. So he says to pray to our Father. Philip Yancey wrote a book on prayer. And if you're the reading type, uh, Philip Yancey has this away with words um, that uh, he says it much better than I ever could. So I'll just read his quote. He says, sometimes I wonder if the words that I use are the least important part of prayer. Who am I and who is God? If I can answer these two questions, the words I pray recede. Here's the deal. If you can answer these two questions, who are you and who is God? I bet you those words, the importance and the value of, it, of saying these right specific words will go away. And once we reduce the formality behind things, then the intimacy increases. Right? So once we can reduce uh, how the language that you have to use, and once we can reduce the need to say the right thing, and, and we can actually get to the relationship, then the closeness really, really, really does change. Now, I love New York City, if not for anything else other than people watching. Right? Some people have a problem sitting very close to people on dinner dates. I love it. Right? Me and my wife will sit right next to somebody, and the whole time we're listening to their conversation. I was listening to Myra's conversation the other night. It was, you know, we got some stuff to talk about, but. <laughs> One of the things that I love is just seeing these really awkward people on first dates, right? We have a friend here, um, and this is a good tactic, so this is not me throwing shade. Uh, he has a list of questions to ask, ask on, a, on a date just in case the conversation stalls. So like if they just hit a dead point in the, in the conversation, he's like, all right. Dance. Do you like to dance? <laughs> what kind of, like wobble dance or like 
What, like, what's your, okay. No, no, no. And he has a whole list uh, of things going on. Listen, I'm not mad at him. You got to get it going somewhere. But when there is so much pressure to say the right thing, to perform, that is not an enjoyable relationship. That can't last for 10 years. It, it, it works on the first two, three dates maybe, but after that, there has to be some sort of closeness that's happening in the relationship that makes it actually enjoyable. And check this out. A lot of our prayer lives are, God, um, said that last week. Uh, he's not going to answer that. Cool. And we don't enjoy prayer because it's not a relationship. It's a chore to be done. That's the way we treat it. But God doesn't want prayer to be a chore to be done in our lives. He wants it to be the basis of a relationship. And that relationship can really be close, can really be intimate when you don't have to worry about what you're saying or how it sounds. My wife and I will be watching TV or something in the couch. And usually one of my, one of my pleasures in life is a good meme, right? Anybody like a good meme, just like a good meme could change your day. I can get hit by a car, but if I see a good meme later that day, I'll be like, well, that's pretty funny. And I'll be on the couch, and sometimes I'll show my wife, like, I'll just be dying laughing, and I'll show her a picture that, of something that I found on Twitter, and usually I can show her one or two before she um, stops listening. And every now and then, she'll look at me, and she'll say those three magic words. She'll say, honey, I don't care. Now, our relationship is enjoyable because we're not worried about the words that we're saying to each other. We can speak freely from the heart without pretense, without a script. We can pour out the entirety of ourselves to the other person. And this is what Jesus is getting at with prayer. It's not about the words you use. It's not about the formula that you've learned one day in Sunday school. It is about our relationship. So when you pray, this is how you should do it. Our Father in heaven. Now, once we can get rid of the burden of performance, we can raise this level of connection and intimacy. So Jesus tells us that when we pray, he starts by reframing our approach. And the approach is everything. And if we get the approach wrong, we will get everything else wrong after that. Now, if you think about it, um, each and every one of us um, knows that you can go to almost anybody and ask them for a, cer a certain number of things. It's like if you're on a train, somebody can say, hey, does his train go to 125th Street? And you can answer that question, and you would feel comfortable asking somebody that uh, question if you didn't know where you're going. But you can't go onto a train and say, hey, can I have your T-shirt? Like, listen, my sock has a hole in it. Can I just, what size, what size foot are you? Can I get those socks? You would never ask them that question. You would never ask them that because you don't have a closeness in your relationship enough to ask that much of a burden. But anybody who knows, who has, for example, kids that live with them, and your kids are eating you out of house and home, you know that your kids will ask for things, more and more stuff than you could even ever give them, without any problem asking for it. And this is what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus is trying to show us, listen, the way we approach God to, in prayer shows us our understanding of who God is in the first place. And those two questions of who am I and who is God, if we can answer those then everything else will fall into place. So who are you? Are you a child of God? Are you God's beloved? Are you the one that God thinks about? Or are you somebody that gets on God's nerves a little bit, but not too much? 
Or are you someone that God is mad at every time you don't read your Bible for an hour? Now, your professor will come down hard on you if you don't do your paper on time. Your boss will come down hard on you if you keep on showing up to work late. Your roommates will be mad at you if you don't kick in your share of the rent on time. But Jesus is saying, listen, I didn't come for you to have a landlord. I came for you to have a father. And the entirety of the gospel message is this. It's very simple. That undeserving people get unconditional love from an unobligated giver. And that's the entirety of what Jesus came to do. That you, you're an undeserving person, but the love of God is so broad, so wide, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1. He prays so that the eyes of our heart would be opened. So we can understand how broad and how wide and how deep is the love that God has for us that turns you from a, someone who feels guilty into a child. And that's what Jesus came to do is to close this chasm. And the biggest reason we don't find um, joy in our prayer lives is because it's this chore, this performance that we have to do. Now, think about it like this. Jesus didn't come for you and God to have a business relationship. A business relationship is this that I have something for you. A family relationship is, I am something to you. Business, I have something for you. Family, I am something to you. You have a business relationship with your landlord. Every first of the month, you better have something for them. Family relationship, especially parents with teenagers, those kids don't even say thank you. for all, They eat you out of house and home. They don't, even, they don't even stop to say thank you. They don't say, Mom, Dad, thanks for paying that Con Ed bill. Not once. You would, have, you would think your kids are on drugs if they said that. If your kids thanked you for paying the Con Ed bill, you'd get them drug tested. Like, something's wrong with Stevie. Boy, thank me for something. I don't know what's wrong with them. Jesus came. Listen, you cannot approach God. God Jesus is saying, you can't come to God like a landlord and expect to have any fruitfulness, any joy in your relationship with him, that you got to come to God as a father. Because check this out. If you don't pay your rent to your landlord, you're going to be feeling anxious and you're going to be dodging them. You're going to be like, yo, I owe this dude money. And, you know, you would come in that house at 2 a.m. just to avoid seeing him. And a lot of us don't pray or, you know, we say these quick prayers and we get in and we get out as fast as possible because we're treating God like he's a landlord and I haven't paid my rent. I haven't done enough to earn it. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about that. A child has much different rights. A child has much different privileges than a renter does. And the purpose of Jesus coming was to establish that in us. It's not that I have something for God. It's that you and I are something to God. Listen, you and I are something to God. And every single day, that's the biggest truth that I have the hardest time believing, that just on my own, without having done anything, that God loves me. It's a simple truth that's the most unbelievable thing in the world. There's a man, uh, Thomas Chalmers, who wrote a phrase that says, uh, the most difficult thing in life to do is to accept Jesus and Jesus alone as our righteousness. But that's the blessed teaching all throughout Scripture. That is Jesus and Jesus alone. We sing this song here, Cornerstone, Christ alone, Cornerstone. It's Christ alone um, that we can stand on. And him and nothing else will make you feel good about your relationship with, with God. Now, I do want to be sensitive to, in some ways because I do realize how difficult it is to us to even think about God as a parent or God as a father because a lot of us have, let's just say, complicated relationships with our fathers. And there's a couple of things that automatically come to your head when you just hear the word father. 
some of you uh, know exactly what it feels like to feel abandoned, um, unwanted, abused, physically, sexually, emotionally, ignored by your father, or over-disciplined. And you can't feel like you can go to your God as a father because your God, um, your, I mean, because your father, your, your natural dad, left. He left when you were 10 years old or when you were two years old, and he never comes around. So now, to, to utter those words, God, my father, it feels like it's digging up memories of you and your dad and how your dad wasn't there for you or how your dad didn't want you. And if maybe you're a survivor of abuse, and uh, to say those words, our father, is, is, is painful. But check this out. God is a good father. He is a good, good dad. He is much better than your sinful father. He's enormously better than any sinful father that has ever walked this planet. And every father is a sinner because we're all people. We're all human. But check this out. Listen to this. In Colossians, the scripture says, if you want to know what God is like, you should look at Jesus. That Jesus Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. And if you want a good picture, if you want a good snapshot of what God the Father looks like, you should look at Jesus. And what does scripture tell us about Jesus? That Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, despising the cross and the shame. He pressed ahead for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross and despising its shame. And this is, what, this is what the joy was. You. That God, for God so loved the world, the most popular scripture, you see it every Sunday on uh, football games, somebody's holding up the John 3.16 banner, that if you want to get a good picture of what God is actually like, he's not like your father. He's not like a, a, a deadbeat. He's not somebody that abandoned you. He's not somebody that over-disciplines you. You don't have to come to God with, with trembling and fear that God is going to uh, hit you with a lightning bolt because you didn't get everything right last week. That God is a good father and we can, we can come to God and that God accepts us and he wants us. In Zephaniah 3 and 17 is a scripture that says that God rejoices over us with singing. That it's not just that God tolerates you, that God wants you, that God celebrates you. Anybody that has spent any time with me or, or my wife within the last 16 months of my son being born, at some point, Jameson is coming up. It is a, we could be talking about anything. We could be talking about air conditioners. And I'm like, you know who likes air conditioner? My son, Jameson. Check out this picture. <laughs> I can't not talk about him because I love and I adore my son. And we've said this over and over and over again, that even through all of his mess and the stinkiness and the diapers, that a good dad can separate the stink from the baby. And scripture tells us the picture of God, who God is for you, is best seen on the cross. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you want to know what length God will go to for you, look at the cross. If you want to know what God feels about you, look at the cross. That our sins were laid upon him. And the, the, the stripes that brought him pain brought us peace. And you and I, listen, we don't go to God as this landlord that's still trying to get the, the rest of his rent. The rent has been paid by him and himself. And God is simply saying, when you come to me, you can't come to me in a business relationship. It has to be as a father. The basis of our approach to God does not rely on our impressiveness or our ability to win God over with great words. We don't need to talk God into wanting to listen to us. God has already decided before the foundation of time that he wants us. And we can go to God as the children goes to his parent, fully confident that he will accept us into his presence, to his throne of grace. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, 
knowing, knowing it says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, we can approach God with this um, boldness, but it also means that when you pray to God our Father, that you and I should have some reverence for who he is. That the gospel properly understood automatically creates reverence and appreciation. And let me break it down like this. In Luke 7, Jesus is talking to a woman, and uh, by all accounts, she's a quote-unquote sinner. And the religious people and the Pharisees are like, yo, Jesus must not know who she is, because if he knew who she was, he wouldn't be within a mile of who she is. He wouldn't be within a mile of her because she is a dirty sinner. And she's crying all over Jesus and pouring perfume on his feet. And this is what Jesus says. He says, listen, imagine like this. Two people owe somebody money. One owes $50, the other one owes $500, and the guy forgives them both. Who do you think will be more grateful? And they said, the one who has been forgiven of more. And here's what Jesus says. The one who has been forgiven of little, loves little. The one who has been forgiven of much, loves much. That a proper understanding of the gospel, that the depth that God has truly forgiven you. And here's the dopest part. It is not your groveling. It is not how sad you feel. It is not your anger at yourself and beating yourself up. None of that works. None of that, does, none of that adds an, an, inch, an ounce to anything that God has done for you. That when Jesus got on the cross and said, it is finished, case closed, book is done, chapter written, it was finished. So you can go to God with boldness and with reverence, knowing that God hears you and that God has already laid upon him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Listen, not only can we go to God with boldness and, and, and not only does the gospel create this reverence inside of us, uh, but we can also go to God knowing that God is powerful and able to do everything that we want him to do. Jesus starts a prayer, our Father uh, in heaven, and he doesn't say, um, you know, our king or our friend or our creator, although all of those things are true, uh, but he says our Father in heaven, meaning that God in heaven is able to control uh, everything below him on, this, on earth, and that God is sovereign, that nothing in this world happens outside of the providence and the knowledge and the, and the permission of who God is. Ephesians 1 and 11 says that God works out all things according to the counsel of his own will. Growing up, um, I remember the first time seeing my parents use an ATM, and I was like, yo, this joint is amazing. You just put a card into a machine and money just like, <sighs> just starts flying out. And as a kid, I never had a problem asking my parents for anything. All I knew is they had this magic money machine, like, yo, just go to the money machine, and we can get it popping. And some of you guys, kids, still think that you have, you got 19-year-olds, and they still think that you got an unending um, supply of money. But here's what kids never do. Your kids will never ask, hey, mom, I'd really like that toy. Uh, do you have enough to buy it? They don't ask that. They say, hey, I want this, period. I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. And they ask over and over and over and over again because they believe that their parents can actually do it. And here's what God is saying. When we pray to God our Father in heaven, we believe that God is not limited in his resources, that God invites us to ask him and that God has the power to actually bring it out. Tim Keller, um, one of my favorite authors and pastors and speakers, uh, he says it like this. He says, hey, no one else can go to the king at 3 a.m. in the morning to wake him up for a glass of milk, but the king's beloved child. And when you pray, God, our Father, you're not disturbing God. You're not upsetting God that you didn't do enough 
you know, I'm sorry I didn't make my bed. I'm sorry I didn't do this. No, no. You can go to God with this boldness and this confidence and this knowledge that God can provide because he is, in fact, our father and not just some detached landlord or anything like that. Uh, a few years ago, uh, my wife and I went to India. Um, we went to a wedding, you know, uh, had a really great time. And we were in Delhi, and one of the things to do while you're in India is to see the sites, to see um, uh, different landmarks and different... One of the most beautiful things that there are in, in India are these Hindu temples. And these Hindu temples are, like, so ornate, and the colors are incredible, gold and all this other crazy colors. Uh, and it really is one of the most beautiful things to look at. But I remember being in there, and there was a woman uh, praying to one of the idols, and she walked up, and she put money down at the idol, and she walked away, bowing, uh, very reverential, and my heart dropped, um, mainly because I thought to myself, this is how a lot of Christians pray. We, God, I've done this, God, look how good I've been, I've gone to church, and God, you know, please do this, please do this for me, but there's still no closeness. There's still no relationship. There's not an approach as God, as a father. And here's what Jesus is getting at. If you don't get anything else right, you got to get these two questions right. Who is God? He's your father. What is God like? Look to Jesus on the cross. And if God is a father and he's like Jesus on the cross that is willing to spare nothing for you and for me, then what does that make you? That makes you a beloved child that can come and approach God. In, first, oh, in John 1 and 12, uh, the author says something that's really profound. He says, as many as received Jesus and who believed on his name, he gave authority to become children of God. As many as received Jesus, listen, to receive Jesus means that he gives you the authority to become a child. No longer is it a performance base. No longer is it based on how well you've done that week, that month, that year. You are now, in fact, an adopted child. And that God is not going anywhere. And God is not angry with you. And God has already forgiven you. And you can go to God in prayer. And you don't have to know the right words to say. You can just go to your dad. J.I. Packer, in one of his uh, books called Knowing God, says something really profound. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means that they don't understand Christianity very well at all. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than the grasp of our adoption. Now, I love this one concept. In Scripture, the Bible says that we are in Christ ten times more than it says that Christ is in us. You know what that means? That God has you way more than you have him then you are, God has you way more than you have him. And the security you need isn't in how well you have grabbed onto God. The security you need isn't in how well you have said the right words for the right formula. The security you and I need is for a gracious, loving, and good father. Listen, I, I know what it feels like to feel like you've disappointed uh, God or disappointed someone else. But you have a father that welcomes you and receives you back. I know what it feels like to have anxiety and to feel like I haven't done enough on my side, uh, and maybe God won't listen, but listen, you and I have a Father that welcomes us to come to Him. I know what it feels like to feel like I don't know how I'm going to get to my next step, how I'm going to move forward, but if it's, if it's all on you, 
That's an anxious life. That's an anxious life, constantly worrying about how well you've done. And I've asked this question a hundred times, and I'm going to keep on asking it. Can you think of a day when you could not have done better? Can you think of a day that you could not have done better? No, of course. Every single day, you could have done better. Every single hour, you could have done better. And if it's about you, then that's just an anxious life. We're always going to be running on this treadmill, never getting anywhere. But Jesus came so that you and I could be a child of God. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer together over ourselves. Um, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. Uh, but before we do, I don't want to take for granted that everybody uh, knows God as a father, that you have decided to follow Jesus, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As it says in the scripture in John, as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And if you might not know where you stand with you and God, and check this out. Uh, next Sunday, we're having a baptism here at Renaissance for people who want to declare their faith in God and will make that step and make that declaration of faith in him. And if you don't know where you stand, if you don't know God as a father, that is absolutely nothing to be embarrassed about. But we would love to talk to you about what it looks like for you to give your life to Jesus. So would you please stand with me? And we're going to read uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it might be on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today, God, our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgotten our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen.